This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning and welcome to episode 61 of Go To Grandma. I'm your host, Kathy Buckworth, and I can only read this script because I have either my glasses, my contacts, or both on right now. Like many Canadians, I need more clarity in my vision and maybe in my life as well. Today's episode is sure to bring some clarity to you as well as I talk with the author of 26 books and a longtime pal of my own, Anne Douglas. Anne is mostly known in the parenting world, where she and I met decades ago during the mom shows and writing for mom websites, which were the precursor to the many mom blogs that abounded in the 2010s. Anne's books are always well-researched, insightful, and personal. And as her four kids, like my four kids, are grown, or at least out of their teen years, she turned her writerly lens on what was happening to her, her messy middle age, as she refers to it, and turned it into a book which is now out called, not surprisingly, Navigating the Messy Middle. Roughly 68 million North American women currently grapple with the challenges of midlife, faced with a culture that tells them their best before date has long passed. Anne interviewed over a hundred women about their middle age and came away with some inspiring and relatable stories to push back against this toxic narrative. Anne says it best, midlife is a time of self-reflection, a time in your life when you're likely to find yourself thinking about who you've been, who you are, and who you are becoming. I told you she'd bring some clarity to us. I think you'll see where I'm going with this theme, as World Sight Day is October 13th, and I'm going to be speaking with ophthalmologist and professor of ophthalmology, Dr. Rose Braga-Malle, about cataracts in particular, and how to recognize the natural changes that happen in our eyes as we age in general. You know, I have to say, it will be an eye-opening conversation. We get a little visionary on our Take 5 with RBC interview as we talk about a recent RBC poll on how Canadians plan to support small businesses and what they will be looking for in their local businesses. 65% of Canadians polled report that they have transacted with a small business in person or online within the last month. And 7 out of 10 plan to spend more at a local business in the future. Why? You'll find out. As an aside, in the mid-1990s, when I had a five-week-old and a two-year-old, I owned a baby and maternity clothing consignment shop in Calgary. I was super excited when they introduced debit, so I didn't always have to use those paper credit card slips. Times have changed. That much is clear. Rub the sleep out of your eyes, grab your morning or afternoon or evening beverage, and join me for the next half hour of fun and facts, as usual, on GoToGrandma. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and my interview with Ann Douglas is up next. For decades, Ann Douglas was Canada's most trusted writer on all things parenting. Now she's turning her attention to the glorious messiness that is midlife. She is the author of 26 nonfiction books, including many best-selling titles in the parenting category, and a passionate and inspiring speaker who delivers keynote addresses and leads small group workshops at conferences and online events. Her latest book, which is published October the 1st, is Navigating the Messy Middle, a fiercely honest and wildly encouraging guide for midlife women. Good morning, Anne Douglas. I am so excited to have you on the show today. Kathy, it feels like a family reunion. (laughs) 
I know, right? We've been in this mom business for a long time. Now we're both navigating. You're navigating the messy middle, as am I, and, and I'm navigating grandparent years. And I'm so glad that we get to talk about this super important topic. I am going to just read a quote from your book first to get us started. So it's entitled, Crisis, What Crisis? Before we talk about midlife happiness, we need to tackle a midlife misconception that fuels a lot of unhappiness. What I'm talking about, of course, is the myth of the so-called midlife crisis, the idea that crisis is an inevitable part of the midlife experience. And you go on to quote a study that says that really only 10% to 20% of people actually experience one. So why is it so much in the zeitgeist in the mainstream media? Well, I think, first of all, it makes for great stories. I mean, we all love those headlines that are so dramatic. And I think it just took on a life of its own. It's like one of those things where you start looking for something and then it's like, you know, you focus on, yes, that guy who did buy the red convertible or (laughs) that woman who, you know, went off in the woods by herself or whatever. But, you know, what's interesting is I think that because people start looking for it, they start massively expanding their definition of what's a crisis. Like, you know, I had a bad weekend, I'm having a crisis. Or researchers found like if you're between the ages of 17 and 75, you say you're having a crisis, people say, oh, you're having a midlife crisis. 17 is a bit young for midlife in my estimation. And I'm pretty sure I'm not going to live to 150 either, right? So this is true. Yeah, this is actually, we had a sailboat 10 years ago and my daughter called it our midlife Christ ship. So there you go. So you're right. It's definitely part of the conversation. And in the book, you also explored why that can be a little bit damaging because we tend to underdiagnose like a true sort of mental health problem going through this what you call the messy middle yeah like if you're feeling really sort of you know bummed out or depressed or anxious and your your emotions are kind of hitting rock bottom you might say to yourself well it's to be expected at this age it's like with the physical health thing they've Mm -hmm. also discovered that if you think that you know midlife is at a time of inevitable decline you'll just say well of course my back hurts or I'm having a lot of physical pain because I'm getting older and you won't actually reach out for help and support and that's where the danger is because I think that if our expectations are too low we tolerate a horrible thing that we otherwise would say you know what it shouldn't be this hard I I need to get some help psychologically or physically absolutely and I've got your notes you're saying 68 million North American women are grappling with the challenges of midlife. That's a lot of people. So you're really, of the 68 million, you interviewed more than 100 midlife women. I found their stories fascinating. So share with us a bit. What kinds of things did you talk about with these women? Well, you know what it's like when you sit down with a group of women and you start talking about things? Like everything starts coming out, right? So people talked about like their hopes and dreams, their worries and the regrets, you know, the roller coaster ride of joys and challenges. So they were really open about all that kind of stuff. And what I quickly figured out is there is no such thing as like a typical one size fits all experience. And so when you have the opportunity to have conversations with a lot of women, you realize that, you know, it's not like you're doing mm-hmm. midlife wrong if you feel like you're having times of struggle. And what I love most about midlife is just having like the view from midlife. It's almost like you're at the top of a hill and you're looking in all directions and you're connecting the dots between past, present and future. And I find that super exciting personally. It just seems to open up all kinds of new doors, you know, not Mm -hmm. in a fake positive, everything's wonderful way, but hey, I've lived, I've learned a lot of things. And now I can take those tools with me on the next leg of the journey. Yeah. And I've heard uh, there's a quote that says that the age 50, 50 is the old age of youth and the youth of old age. And I think that's true that we know what we've been through and we sort of get a sense of where we want to go and what really matters to us. Yes. And I think that if you've lived long enough, you've been through some really hard times, maybe grief, maybe, you know, being 
treated badly in the workplace or any number of things, relationship havoc, and you sort of survive the thing you thought, there's just no way I can cope with this. And so when you're faced with a new challenge, like hello, pandemic, (laughs) you have different skills and tools. Like there were many days over the past couple of years where I thought, this is too much. And then I thought, but you know what? I have been through even harder things in the past. So I can tap into that strength and the ability to know that sometimes it's really hard in this hour, but maybe it'll be easier tonight or tomorrow. Yeah. In fact, my parents and my kids' grandparents just wrote a bit of their memoirs and included a lot about growing up during World War II in England and Coventry and Canterbury. Wow. And fascinating. And I thought, I said to my kids, I hope you realize that while the world seems a little, you know, dark right now or whatever, we have to remember that these are stages, you know, that we're all going through. We're going through different challenges at the same time. So I totally get what you're saying about being able to put it in a perspective. That is such a gift, having that memoir Mm -hmm. being written for your family. And and like you say, tapping into the wisdom of the ages. I just coincidentally am reading a memoir of a woman who, you know, would probably be over well over 100 if she was alive today. And the darkness of the 1950s, like we think of Mm -hmm. that as, oh, oh, the happy days. No, a lot of people were deeply afraid about what was happening in the world and what the post-war world was going to look like. Exactly. And so in your book, you talk about the fact that midlife is a life stage that has tended to be poorly researched, at least compared to other life stages. And we talk a lot about, obviously, childhood stages, teenage, olders, etc. But midlife. So could you talk a bit about why that is? Yeah, well, for whatever reason, I think the focus was always on either being a kid or being an older person. And then around the 1970s, researchers started to take a look. And initially, they got sort of caught up in the whole midlife crisis thing we were talking about. And they focused on a very narrow group of women when they actually remembered that women existed, because we know that was an (laughs) issue in research for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And so even until quite recently, and even to a certain extent until right now, a lot of the research is focused on women just like us, you know, white, middle class, heterosexual, married women. And so it's let so many other women down by just not reflecting the diversity of our stories at midlife because the older we get the more different we become from one another in a lot of ways because we've lived through and and seen different things. Absolutely and you talk about the women that you interview come from all different walks of life and experiences and I found that again so interesting and I actually know a couple of them in the book I picked them out so that was really cool to hear their stories and at the end of the book you actually list out a few questions here to keep the conversation going so I'm turning the table on you, Anne, and asking you the first question that you have here, because I think it's great. What does society get wrong and what does society get right about what it's actually like to be a woman at midlife? Well, they totally underestimate us, as a number of my interviewees said. Like, you know, sometimes you see a graphic on social media of, like, you know, this poor woman in a sweater huddled alone by her fireplace (laughs) with nothing to live for. That is not us. No. We have so much knowledge, life experience, life spirit, et cetera, to contribute to the culture. So I think that, you know, society misses out by selling us short. But in terms of what it gets right, I think that sense that, you know, it's a time for relationships and for connecting with one another, whether that means through your family or hopefully more broadly in your friendships and in the community. Like, I think our strength as midlife women is when we link arms with other women across generations and, you know, in the widest circle that we can imagine with our empathy. Amen. I think that's absolutely right. I think it's so important to have friendships at different ages as well and to share our knowledge, but to learn from different ages as well. I love when you have somebody younger as a friend. I actually have a friend 
friend who's in her late 20s. And even just the way she phrases things, it is so refreshing because I think like, I don't think we would have said that back <laughs> when I was that age, but right. this is totally true. We need more honesty and frankness in our culture. We do. And we need more Anne Douglas in our life. So your book, <laughs> which is called Navigating the Messy Middle, a fiercely honest and wildly encouraging guide for midlife women, available October the 1st, wherever you find fine books. And we can also always find Anne on social media at Anne Douglas. That's A-N-N without an E. And your website is AnneDouglas.ca. It's such a pleasure to reconnect with you, Anne. And once again, congratulations on the book. Oh, thanks for a lovely conversation. It was everything I hoped it would be and more, (laughs) Kathy. Take care, Anne. Thanks. Dr. Rosa Braga Mele is an ophthalmologist and professor of ophthalmology, faculty of medicine at the University of Toronto. She's a cataract specialist and educator who speaks frequently on advanced surgical techniques and innovations in the area of complicated cataract cases. She was voted by her peers as one of the top 50 opinion leaders in cataract and refractive surgery. She serves as the chair of the Education Clinical Committee for the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery and is a member of the Governing Board and Program Committee for AS. CRS. Good morning, Dr. Rosa. Thank you so much for coming on the program today. Thank you for having me, Kathy. So Thursday, October the 13th is World Sight Day. So I'm going to start at the beginning and ask you, what are the most common eye conditions that aging Canadians will experience? Well, there's three of the most common for aging. And in Canada and in first world countries, the most common cause of vision loss in patients who are aging is age-related macular degeneration, which affects the retina, which is like the film in the back of the eye, and then glaucoma, which affects pressure within the eye, which decreases your peripheral vision. Those tend to be relatively silent, but are extremely hereditary. And so if you have a family history of either of those two, very important to have eye checks at age 50 and moving forward every year. The leading cause of blindness in third world countries is cataracts, Mm. but first world countries have cataract surgery. So that is (laughs) an aging disease, but we take care of our patients with cataract surgery to help improve their vision. So no one theoretically should go blind from cataracts in Canada, U.S. or any first world country. So exactly what are cataracts, Dr. Rosa, and are they preventable? So cataracts are not necessarily preventable, but they can be delayed depending on lifestyle choices. So first, what is a cataract? Well, our eye is shaped like a ball or an egg, depending on whether you have astigmatism or not, but it has two lenses within it. The cornea, the front part of the eye, is like the lens in a camera, the one you can see. And then as we know, the shutter that affects the camera is like our iris, which is our colored part of our eye. And then there's the lens behind the iris, which is the second lens in a camera, and it's the second lens in our eye, and that's where a cataract grows. That's why you can't see cataract. And typically, an aging cataract is just a slow progression or hardening of the lens, so a slow yellowing of vision, a change in prescription, maybe halo and glare at night. Maybe you really have to optimize your light to read or see stuff or the TV's getting a little fuzzy or not optimized. And that's slowly how we start to notice cataracts. And so it grows in the lens and it just keeps compounding on itself. And eventually you need to have surgery to remove it because there's no treatment for cataracts other than surgery. Okay. However, if you live a heavy life, a healthy lifestyle, then you can prolong or delay the progression of cataracts. 
Okay. So cataract lenses, are they all the same or what options are available? Oh, that's a great question. So there are many options available and it's a good conversation to have with your ophthalmologist, which is a medical doctor that is trained further in eye diseases and eye surgery. Mm -hmm. But there are standard lenses that in Ontario anyway, OHIP will pay for. So OHIP cataract surgery is covered by OHIP. The lenses, the testing is all covered by OHIP as long as you just want the standard procedure. And, and it's very good. That's There's nothing wrong with the standard lens, standard testing, standard procedure. But then there are upgrades from there. There are lenses that offer better quality of vision at night okay. with contrast sensitivity. And those are a small upgrade above. You're still going to need glasses maybe for all distances. There are lenses that help correct astigmatism, which makes your vision a little wonky. Mm -hmm. And so you need glasses to correct that. And so you can put that, your glasses, theoretically inside your eye with astigmatism correcting lenses, optimizing your distance vision, and then needing computer and reading glasses. Or you can get lenses that extend your depth of vision or even trifocal lenses that help mm -hmm. you get a range of vision distance computer, seeing your dashboard when you're driving, and even for small print up close, depending on what your eye is like depending on the health of your eye and depending what your lifestyle needs are. But you pay more for those. But you pay more for those. And so if the decision has been made that you need to have the surgery, what kinds of questions should people ask their eye doctor before the surgery takes place? So the first question is, do I really need to have mm -hmm. the surgery done yeah. and whether they're ready for it? And most people are good candidates. And if they're having any visual compromise, they should have the surgery done. There's no point waiting like in the old days <laughs> when we'd wait for it to right. be mature. But the questions to ask are, what kind of eye do I have? Do I have any underlying eye disorders like glaucoma or macular degeneration or really bad dry eye that would preclude me or make me not a good candidate for any of the premium lenses? And then what lenses are available to optimize my vision that maybe I can, if I can afford to pay for them? And, and every office, every hospital will be a little different pricing, and that just is what the market will bear. Mm -hmm. But I think patients really need to be made aware that they can have a procedure that will improve their vision a lot and just maybe put them in glasses afterwards, which is not the end of the world, without having to pay anything. So don't feel like you're going to need to save up your money to have cataract surgery. It just depends what your wants and lifestyle needs are to pay extra for all of these lenses. But you can have a good conversation with your doctor on what lens is best for you as a patient and for your eye. So where can Canadians go for more information about cataracts and the surgery itself? They can Google it online, mm -hmm. cataract surgery, and there are a lot of good resources available online for that. Or their, their ophthalmologists or even mm -hmm. optometrists should have some pamphlets or some availability for them. And I understand we can also go to seethefullpicture.ca for some more information and that they have a Facebook page as well associated that with that. That is correct. Yes, seethefullpicture.ca is a very good site. And the Canadian Ophthalmology Society, eyesight.ca, also has hmm. some very good sites, not only on cataract surgery, but good information on other eye diseases as well. This is all such great information. I learned a lot about cataracts. I think our listeners did as well. And really emphasizing the importance of getting regular eye exams and staying on top of this, I think, is really paramount. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Rose. I really appreciate it. Take care. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. 
Don Ludlow is Vice President, Small Business, Business Financial Services, Strategy and Partnerships at RBC. He leads RBC's small business teams overseeing delivery of market-leading client experiences through innovative partnerships and beyond banking solutions to help entrepreneurs and Canadian business owners start, manage and grow their ventures. Good morning, Don. Thanks so much for coming on as part of our Take 5 with RBC series. Thanks, Kathy. Great to be here. So I think we can all agree these past two and a half years have been challenging for everyone and small businesses have had to shoulder a lot of issues. Can you tell us a little bit more about that from your recent RBC poll? Sure. Yeah, happy to. And, you know, I think a a good starting point is just to understand the importance of small businesses to the Canadian economy. They really are, as we say, the backbone of it. In fact, they make up about 98% of all enterprises across Canada and account for the majority of private sector employment and each and every year the majority of new jobs created. So we really need a strong small business sector for uh, a healthy Canadian economy and for Canada to succeed. Mm -hmm. And I think the good news coming out of the survey is that, you know, first of all, entrepreneurialism is uh, alive and well. There is still a high degree of interest in people starting small businesses. And as importantly, there's a lot of interest amongst Canadians in supporting small businesses and showing their love for uh, local small businesses. In fact, we found that Canadians spend about 30% of their discretionary spend on small businesses. Wow. And in fact, 70% of Canadians are actually looking to spend locally in small businesses in the weeks and months ahead. So a lot of support there for small businesses. Mm -hmm. And when you kind of unpack that and try to understand, well, why is that? What do Canadians see with small businesses that they really love? A couple of things really stand out. The first is, you know, for socially conscious consumers, the ability to support, you know, businesses that are important to them, perhaps businesses owned by, you know, two-spirited or LGBTQ plus community members or BIPOC-owned businesses or environmentally friendly businesses. So mm-hmm. things, businesses that support their values are very important for consumers these days. Also, small businesses are viewed as being quite innovative uh, and very attuned to their customers and very easy to adapt. And I think also small businesses have really demonstrated an ability to embrace uh, digital solutions, which delivers a lot of convenience uh, Mm -hmm. and also makes for a really great uh, shopping and consuming experience. So, you know, all in all, high degree of support for small businesses uh, across Canada. So these are terrific insights from consumers for small business owners. And it's powerful to see the alignment between consumer wants and expectations with the small business owners understanding of where they need to go to. And I know RBC supports small business owners with tools and advice. Can you share some of those ideas? Sure. Yeah. I think a first part of advice would be, you know, you don't ever have to go it alone. So there's lots of uh, resources out there to help you as a small business owner. And we would always encourage you to talk to uh, talk to anyone. And of course, We're always happy to talk to uh, business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs at RBC as well. So drop by and uh, have a chat with us if you wish. In terms of resources, though, I would point out a couple that are really great. The first is a site we have called RBC Small Business Navigator. And it's packed full of all kinds of tools and resources and guides that can help you start and grow uh, your small business. And then once you've decided to take the plunge, there's a really great application we have uh, delivered by RBC Ventures called Owner. O-W-N-R. And it allows you to very quickly and digitally register and or incorporate a small business in a very economical way and really quite uh, quickly. And there's all kinds of additional services there that you can access as well. And then if e-commerce is part of your business, and increasingly it is for so many businesses, Mm -hmm. Moneris Online and Bookmark can help you uh, get set up. Once you're up and running, we also have this incredible award-winning tool 
called RBC Insights Edge, which allows you to look at the sales patterns of your customers and understand their demographics, where they are, how they're buying. And that helps you find others that are like them and obviously uh, grow your business. So lots of tools and solutions we have for small business owners and to protect against risks out there. We also have uh, some new partners we've worked with. Cobalt is one which helps uh, with cybersecurity solutions, and you can access uh, those through our uh, business banking uh, portal. So lots of tools and resources to help both establish small businesses and those who are thinking of starting one. Amazing, incredibly useful tools, and entrepreneurs can access these solutions and business advice online through the RBC Small Business Navigator at rbc.com slash navigator. Thanks again so much for your time and insight today, Don. Pleasure to be here, Kathy. The view from midlife can be pretty spectacular. It's a chance to reflect on how far you've traveled, how much you've lived through, and how much you've learned. I'll keep going back to these words from my wise friend, Anne Douglas. I also know that my kids, and probably grandkids, have little interest in hearing about what I've lived through, but I also know that's why friends are so important at this stage of life. I didn't talk about that part of the book during this interview, but Anne talks about how becoming a little choosier about who manages to find their way into our friendship circles is a well-documented midlife trend. I encourage you to look around at your own friend circle and hang on tight to the ones that matter to you. I also encourage you to make sure you keep up with your eye doctor appointments and maybe visit a local optometrist while doing so to make sure our small business sector continues to grow after some tough lockdown times. See how it all comes into focus? Next week's show will shine a light on a topic I've touched on in the past with previous guests. Did you know that Canada is the first country to provide census data on transgender and non-binary people? Why does this matter? This data will be used by public decision makers, employers, and providers of healthcare, justice, and other services to better meet the needs of all men and women, including transgender men and women and non-binary people in their communities. I'm going to share some of the findings from the census on this topic, plus revisit some advice on how to have some conversations with your kids, grandkids, parents, and grandparents about LGBTQ plus members of your family and how we can all support them. The support starts at home, but goes out into the world. So I'll also tell you about my recent trip to Amsterdam, a city well known for its significant LGBTQ plus population, and what I found out about Booking.com's Travel Proud program, and what it means for our LGBTQ plus kids and grandkids getting out into the world. Is the world a better or a worse place today than when we were kids? I have author and scientist Tim Caulfield back on the show to tell us what he thinks, based on the research he did for his latest book, Relax, A Guide to Everyday Health Decision, with more facts and less worry. National Coming Out Day is October the 11th, and our Take 5 with RBC Conversation discusses what that means from the perspective of organizations, as I talk about Pride at Work Canada and the vision and work they are doing across Canada. Thanks for dropping in today. Please come back next week or I'll miss you. I'm Kathy Buckworth and you've been listening to Go To Grandma. Enjoy your grand journey. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Twitter at Kathy Buckworth or email her Kathy at KathyBuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.